Watch Podcast. I'm Aaron Berger, a Nebraska Extension Beef Educator. For today's Beef Watch Podcast, we're going to be discussing an article from the April issue of the Beef Watch newsletter titled, How Much Copper Do You Need in Your Mineral? To discuss this, I'm joined today by Dr. Mary Janowski, who's a Nebraska Extension Beef System Specialist. Thanks for joining me today. Oh, I'm happy to be here and answer some common questions that I get. So let's talk about mineral a little bit. And in this article, you highlight in particular copper and the importance of that. And then also some forage based in Nebraska and how that forage, even though it has copper present, may not be contributing much in terms of the actual copper available to the cattle that are consuming it. Walk through with us some of the research that you have looking at copper levels and forage in Nebraska and some of the things that could be antagonistic in terms of that copper being absorbed. Yeah, so I think the first thing to set up here is that the two most common mineral deficiencies are actually copper and zinc. And copper is probably the most complex thing in terms of figuring out how much to feed because of other minerals actually having an impact on how much is actually available. So we talk about antagonists, and what we're really talking about is minerals that are interfering with the absorption or just tying up copper. So there's a couple of things here that's really, really interesting to me. Uh, one of which is, of course, phosphorus is probably the most expensive mineral that would be in your like free choice mineral. And copper is the second most expensive. So we are deficient in terms of our forage base. And we do see uh, deficiencies. And most of the time that pops up as um, really just reduced immunity in calves. That's kind of where we see it most of the time. Um, so we do need to feed some. And the question is just how much. It is kind of a challenge because I see a lot of people going one way or the other, right? They either aren't feeding enough and they get into deficiency issues or they feed too much. And not only does that waste money, but we can actually start seeing some negative effects on calf performance when we have situations where we have too much in their liver. So basically, we don't want to be on either end. We want to be in the Goldilocks zone. So we want to be just right. So now the question, right, is how do we get to what is just right? So you mentioned the uh, analysis we have on forages in Nebraska. One of the things that was that was really cool was that Ward Labs gave us access to the analyses that they had from basically a five-year period, so 2012 through 2019, of all the samples that they had analyzed for mineral content. And I just took all the grass samples and I looked at them by region. So the first thing I did was um, look at the, basically the land management area regions. Um, so that would be based kind of on the land type or the not quite the soil type. It's, it's a combination of the topography and the soil. And I started like breaking them down into where they came from. And what I realized was that for the most part, we didn't see a lot of differences across regions with the exception of uh, Eastern Nebraska. So in Eastern Nebraska, compared to the rest of Nebraska, we had a little bit lower levels of uh, molybdenum. And molybdenum is one of those antagonists or other minerals that tie up copper. 
So that means in eastern Nebraska, the copper that is in the forage is a little bit more available than in the rest of the state. But in the rest of the state, I was really surprised. I didn't expect the sandhills to have the levels of molybdenum that they did. But in fact, there are antagonistic levels of molybdenum really in the forages through most of the state, which was a little bit of a surprise to me. I expected that sandy soil not to have as much. So one of the things that is really important to to really understand is that we say 10 parts per million is the requirement uh, of our animal, but that assumes a little bit of copper that's not available, but it doesn't assume a lot. And so when we start getting into levels of molybdenum that are uh, two to two and a half parts per million, which is what we were seeing through most of Nebraska, we're really tying up the majority of the copper that is in fresh pasture. We pretty much have to assume that there is nothing coming from our fresh pasture. Now, there are differences in location and like your field might be different from your neighbor's field because, for instance, pH matters and pH will affect how much molybdenum is available to the plant and those types of things. So we actually do suggest to really know how much you need to supplement. Some forage testing can go a long way in helping you dial in. But looking across these samples, I I feel fairly confident to say that when we're in central and western Nebraska, Uh, we need to be thinking uh, about providing that 10 part per million of copper while they're on fresh pasture. Now, one other thing that I learned while I was investigating this is that hay doesn't have quite as big of a challenge. Even though it might have the same amount of molybdenum and even sulfur, uh, it's a little bit less available in terms of how it will tie up copper. So we're looking at hay, it looks like we have a little less than 40%, maybe 40 to 50% of the copper requirement being provided. Um, so that means that we need to be providing about half of their requirement. Now, most of you are probably thinking 10 parts per million. Well, what does that mean? Because <laughs> that's usually one of the questions I get. And uh, The way I usually think about it is if I have a free choice mineral, how much do I have to have in that free choice mineral to meet the needs? So if we say you want to provide basically 100% of the requirement, which is uh, what it looks like on most of our pastures in western and central Nebraska, in a four ounce mineral, that would be 1,300 parts per million of copper. If I was in eastern Nebraska, I have a little bit lower molybdenum levels, I get away with maybe a thousand parts per million of copper in a four ounce mineral. On hay, we could probably half that and be okay. But in our situations where we're on pasture, we probably need to be providing quite a bit of copper. One of the other things you mentioned in the article is it's not just only molybdenum that can tie up, but also sulfur. And in Nebraska, we feed quite a bit of ethanol co-products, and those can be high in sulfur. Share with us a little more about the importance of thinking about that as well as you think about copper and the need for that in the cow herd. Yeah, well, basically, molybdenum and sulfur go hand in hand. And uh, sulfur can tie up copper, especially if we have some molybdenum in the diet. And so distillers grains and and, um, syrup or... Dense distiller solubles are high in sulfur. 
And so if I feed high amounts of those in the diet, then we're going to need to up the amount of copper because uh, they can really tie up a lot of copper. However, I want to point out because a lot of people use, say, distillers in the winter, say, feed a couple pounds to your dry cows out on dormant range. That doesn't really provide enough sulfur to really have much of an impact on copper. In fact, uh, on dormant range, we actually don't quite have enough sulfur to meet the requirements of the rumen microbes. So that little bit of sulfur you're providing is actually a benefit in terms of fiber digestion. Um, So I don't worry too much about that situation. But if I get into something like seven pounds of dry matter from distillers, so some of these confined cow diets, for instance, where we're feeding a very dense diet that has quite a bit of distillers in it, then we're going to need to change how much copper, and we may need to go up to, say, 2,500 parts per million of copper, or just a couple pounds of dry matter uh, from syrup. So both of those were on dry matter basis. A couple pounds of from syrup, right, that's, that's probably six pounds as fed, so that's a lot of syrup as well. Um, so just to be clear, I I don't get too antsy until we get up there in those really high levels of co-products. Now, there's a caveat to that, and that is if you have high sulfur water, (laughs) uh, then you may also need to start upping the amount of uh, copper that you have in your minerals. So when I'm talking about high sulfur water, I'm talking about 600 parts per million of sulfate or greater, then I would go to that higher level of copper supplementation. And I have had a few people in southeastern Nebraska come up with some water sources that were above that level. So it is probably a good idea to to have your water source tested just to know if that's an issue or not, because you don't want to be feeding a bunch of copper if you don't need to, but you also don't want to be underfeeding and uh, and having any kind of uh, subclinical deficiencies. And what I mean by that is where you're not actually seeing responses that you can definitively say are copper deficiency. So most of the time, clinical deficiency is not something we're going to see. We're going to see these issues that you can't really pinpoint the cause, right? So lower immunity uh, would be a big one, or maybe just uh, some lower growth rates on your calves. And so you don't know that it's caused by copper, but it can be causing a problem. Let's say I suspect that I have a problem or I'm looking at my mineral and I'm thinking, you know, I What's the source of copper in this? How can I make sure that the copper that's there is is providing what's needed? What are some things you would recommend producers think through? Well, that's a that's actually a really great question, Aaron, because that's also a common question, right? Is uh, do I need to be feeding, say, an organic copper source? And so, I will say that most of the time, a good mineral program with the levels I was kind of providing is going to meet the needs with an inorganic source, assuming it's an available inorganic source. So I say that in that there's one source that is not available. It's called copper oxide. It's not often found in minerals. So usually it's copper sulfate they're using if they're using inorganic. And that is the source I'm I'm talking about being available. Organic sources, say like uh, a copper proteinate or a copper chloride, they have some advantages in that they're more bioavailable, meaning that more of the copper is available for absorption. Uh, However, they're often more costly. And so the the thing that 
that I see is that oftentimes I can feed just a little bit more inorganic and uh, meet the needs for a lower cost than going to an organic. Now, there are times when an organic makes sense. And one of those would be if I have a lot of antagonists. So if I had that really high sulfate water, it may be hard to be feeding enough copper to meet needs. In that case, I might go to an organic. Or if I need to really turn around status quickly. So I bought some animals that are very copper deficient and I need to boost them up. So in that case, maybe going to an organic for a period of time might make sense. Otherwise, um, I think a good program with an inorganic mineral can meet most people's needs. So that's all I would look is just make sure it's not copper oxide and you're probably okay. One other thing just to point out is that couple years ago, one of my colleagues over at Iowa State bought a couple groups of calves, actually about, it was four groups of calves from Valentine, Nebraska. And they were going to do a copper study. So they knew which calves came from which groups. And so they just went and, and analyzed the liver copper in everybody. And like one group was very deficient. Two groups looked about what you'd expect and they were in the adequate range. And one was way up there in the, in the potentially toxic range. By the way, if you get copper really high in liver and then you stress an animal, um, you can actually kill them because <laughs> it can release so much copper at once um, that you'll have some some animals that'll just uh, fall over dead on you. So that's a really high level, but that's where they were at. They were in that range of, wow, we're amazed that, that shipping stress didn't uh, knock some over. So overfeeding copper is not a good idea. Now, I don't want to scare a whole bunch of people because there's a good... Uh, buffer zone. But uh, usually where we see those really, really high levels is people are combining supplements. And that's the other thing I would point out. The levels I was suggesting is your free choice mineral is your source of copper. You're not feeding a, a lick tub that has added mineral in it. You're not using an injectable mineral. You're just using that free choice mineral. If you're doing a combination of things, then we got to take into account these other sources you may not need as much in there. So that's usually where I see that happen is somebody has multiple sources or multiple fortified feeds that they're using. And so they're just stacking them on top of each other. Mary, is there a place where you would think about utilizing an injectable, uh, thinking about, I'm particular here, maybe thinking about calves or cows before breeding, where might that have application? Yeah. So, I mean, that's a question that I often get and, and the injectable minerals can improve status in terms of it's a short-term spike in uh, available mineral. The thing is that if, if I have a situation where I have animals deficient before a key need time, right? So as you mentioned, breeding, there have been instances where people will see a, a breed up response. But on the flip side, if, if I have a good mineral program and I have them in adequate status, more is not better. You won't see any improvement by using an injectable mineral. Um, and we've done many studies that has shown that animals in adequate status, we see no response. So they have a place and the place is when you have a group of animals that are deficient and you have a situation where improving status is going to improve performance. So like the breed up, if I had an animal that was deficient and I injected them, that might help. 
the same thing with uh, newborn calves. I see people using it in newborn calves, for instance. If that cow doesn't have enough copper to meet the needs of that calf, then you might see an improvement in um, growing calf, so pounds of calf weaned, if I use that injectable mineral. And in fact, there was some data from K-State that that was the case. The, the cows were not in good status. They used an injectable mineral in the calf and they saw a response. But I can show you data on the reverse as well, where cows were in good status, used an injectable mineral, no benefit. Uh, so the point is that I see it as a great rescue system because to be honest, the injectable minerals are quite expensive for the amount of mineral you're getting. So if you provide a good mineral program, they probably are not necessary. If you have some animals with unknown status or your mineral program isn't up to par, um, they can be a way to, to have a little bit of a rescue, so to speak, for that animal. Anything else on this topic that you think would be important to know and understand? Well, I, I know minerals are, are one of those things that are a, a bit complex because there's a, there's a lot of things to think through. I would uh, point out we actually just put together uh, a, a new NEB guide that provides a lot of uh, tips based off of common situations and common things that I've seen over the years uh, in terms of mineral and vitamins. Uh, for beef cows. So I would suggest that uh, people who are really interested in maybe honing in on their mineral program, uh, they might take a look at that, read through it. Uh, if they have questions, you know, I'm happy to to follow up and answer questions. I, uh, I do look at a lot of people's uh, mineral programs and uh, a lot of their forages and help them kind of hone in on what they want to do. Last thing I guess I would say is an expensive mineral program doesn't always mean that it is a better mineral program. <laughs> so I think one of the things that people really need to think through is what do I actually need? Because more is not better. And at the same time, too little is, is a problem as well. Thanks again for joining me today. Yeah. Thanks, Aaron. Uh, I hope uh, everybody finds this useful. Well, for more information on the topic that was discussed in today's Beef Watch podcast, I would encourage you to visit the beef.unl.edu website. The title of the article that we discussed was How Much Copper Do You Need in Your Mineral? And it also, again, reminds you of the NEB guide that Dr. Mary Janowski referenced. That's linked in the article. The title of the NEB guide, Formulation Considerations for Mineral and Vitamin Supplements for Beef Cows.